Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the Podcast. Today we're going to be doing something like Groundhog Day. <laughs> Do you know the movie Groundhog Day where Bill Murray woke up, or I think it was Bill Murray, or the person woke up and they just kept reliving, oh, I think I'm thinking of Caddyshack or something with that, but back to my point. (laughs) Do you remember the movie where the person just kept reliving the same day over and over and over? Well, that's what today's going to be on this episode of the podcast because we are redoing last week's podcast. Number 284, where we are continuing our series, The 11 Skills Toddlers Must Use Before Words Emerge, and this one is number six, Understanding Gestures. I actually did this show last week, and I did not realize that the quality of the audio was so terrible. So if you listened to that show and somehow got through it, I apologize. And sometimes you don't know about these technical things until after the fact, and I've sort of thought right after the show, my goodness, mm, I'm a little bit worried because I did something differently, and then it just kept nagging and gnawing away at me, and then I listened and realized, gosh, it's terrible, we need to redo it. So that's what we're doing today, mostly because this information is vital. It is so important. So if you're a parent or a therapist listening and you think, eh, already heard that show, chances are today's show, same topic, may be a little bit different because I never say the same thing exactly in the same way. And I follow a loose outline here at the podcast, but it's never, ever word for word unless it's something that's so important that I've I kind of have a script around it. So today we're redoing that show. And again, I apologize for uh, that terrible audio last week. So let's get going. But before we do that, let me make one very important announcement that I've wanted to say for a long time. The Is It Autism course is available beginning today in pre-sale. The anticipated release date is May 15th, and I just cannot tell you how excited I am about this project and specifically being finished with this project (laughs) because it's kind of been a long time coming. So if you are on my email list, you will get an email in an hour or two outlining the pre-sale details. We're offering this course in two parts so that for those of you who, who don't need seven hours of continuing education, maybe you only need three or four hours this year, and you're hesitant to invest in an entire course, sometimes people feel like, gosh, I don't want to know anything about intervention because I only do diagnostics, or vice versa. I only do therapy. You know, I don't need that assessment information. Let me just say, if you're in that boat, you really do because you should be able to recognize signs and symptoms of autism so well even if you are not the person who gives the official diagnosis. So I think both parts are equally important. But we're splitting this one up into two separate parts so that you can get the assessment portion or really the diagnostic portion because we're not going – I don't talk at all about use this specific tool or proceed in this way. We're just looking, again, at the signs and symptoms of autism using the official diagnostic criteria. So if you've never taken a look at that or here's what it's best for. If you are a pediatric – 
speech language pathologist like I am or another kind of therapist, developmental therapist, an EIS specialist, an OT, a PT, whatever you find yourself, you know, doing as you provide services to toddlers, whether it's through private practice or a state early intervention program or, um, you know, whatever, whatever method, a school system, a preschool setting, you need to be able to definitively recognize autism and definitively know this is a kid who needs further referral, especially if your particular agency doesn't routinely diagnose autism. And then this is a kid that this is not that big of a deal for, or this is I don't believe that this that label would fit. You know, certainly he needs services, but it's not autism. So I think it's fantastic information for every kind of therapist who practices and who whose caseload includes. Excited about it. If you're on the email list, like I said before, you'll get an email about that today, which is Friday, April 29th. If uh, you're wondering what today is, because you may be listening weeks or months or years from now, but this is uh, April 29th, 2016. So if you're not on the email list, and I've got a couple of emails about this, you know, put me on your email list. I can't do that because you have to confirm your email just to be sure that uh, the company that we use for that wants to do everything they can to eliminate spam. And I would never, ever, ever want you to get messages from me if you didn't want them. <laughs> so go to teachmetotalk.com. Look for the green banner in the middle of the page. And it'll say like free parent ebook or something like that. And it's a green banner and it says sign up now. And you'll put your name in and then enter your email address and then click subscribe. Then you'll get a confirmation email that will, you'll have to click saying and agreeing to get information. The bonus is you'll get a copy of my free ebook, A Parent's Guide to Understanding Speech Language Development, which is fantastic. If you've not seen that, it's a great tool to explain to parents the foundations of early speech language um, skill maturation and how that begins and how you can't really get to expressive language until you have receptive language and you can't really get to receptive language until a child is interacting socially with others. So great, great way to explain it. It's all laid out for you. Therapists thank me routinely and say, I love that ebook. I, I copy it. I give it to parents all the time. It's one of the first things that I give them or I send them the PDF or I send them to your website so that they can subscribe and read that information. So again, a super, super tool uh, for you. So you'll get you'll get that automatically and then you'll get routine updates. Sometimes it's a couple times a week. Most of the time when I'm busy, <laughs> I'll think, oh, send out another email, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks. So just take a look at that so that you can get the notification for the pre-sale. And that's not going to be uh, on the website yet, so you'll get advance notice of that. But the course is out, ship date, is anticipated for May 15th pending any other, well, pending any other issue. <laughs> but I'm super excited that that course is coming out. It's been a long time coming. I taught it live last year in a few cities to kind of warm it up and make sure it's how I wanted to present. If, even if you saw it live, this course is more comprehensive than what you saw because we all, no matter where we are in our careers, get better and better and better and better with time. So I've added some things to it, put in some new therapy clips, rearranged the material a little bit. 
decrease the emphasis on the diagnostics, even though it's still pretty darn comprehensive, and then increase the intervention section. So if you were in one of those sites that, uh, you know, we had to rush through uh, those 10 treatment strategies, maybe the last few were, were kind of rushed just to get it all in, it's still worth your time to take a look at that and decide if it's something you need. But fantastic information about it. Now, every time I release a new course on DVD, parents will say, can I get this? Is this recommended for parents? Is it relevant? Let me just say, a lot of parents order my continuing education courses. It's appropriate for a lot of parents who are really diving in and thinking, hey, I've got to take this bull by the horns here. I need to be in charge of my child's therapy. Nobody cares about this baby like I do. I want as much information as I can get. If that's you, consider getting the course. If that's not you, <laughs> if you kind of yawn through, I don't want to say more technical presentations because it's not, but it kind of is because it's geared toward therapists and professionals. And so it's not going to be appropriate for every parent. But if you're a go-getter mom, if you just consume all of these podcasts, like I know a lot of you do, and you'll say, you know, I've listened to you for six hours straight and I have a question about podcast number, blah, 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 and then you send me a question, you know, related to a show that I did months or years ago. If that's you, this might be something that you need. This might really, really, really help you. If you're on the fence deciding, I don't know if I agree with this autism diagnosis or not, this might really help you because we walk through that diagnostic criteria step by step by step by step. You'll see uh, great video examples of children that I've treated, stimulatory behaviors. You know, a lot of times a parent will say, I just don't see autism in my child. And let me just say, gosh, that's so normal because we are blinded by love for our own children. We are. I fall in love with children on my caseload too, and sometimes I'm blinded by things, and I think, no, step back, be objective here. You love this kid, but you can't let that keep you from knowing what you know and seeing what you see. And so if you need some examples and you want to see some children, and again, with a range of abilities within autism, I have a couple of little guys that are pretty significantly affected by autism, and then a little girl there who's over three, who is uh, what we used to kind of call high-functioning. We don't really use that terminology anymore, but if, if, if you want to see some examples, super, super resource for you to have. And again, it's going to be available for purchase beginning today, April 29th, 2016. And pre-sale will run that special pricing through May 9th, which I believe is a Monday. So take a look at that and uh, you can get more information, again, if you're on my email list. All right, let's move on or back to last week's topic where we were talking about understanding gestures. And remember, this is the series where we're talking about all the things that happened before we can realistically expect a child to use first words meaningfully. And let me just say a little blurb about this. Sometimes children who are on the autism spectrum speaking of autism, will echo or repeat a word that they've heard. And, you know, we all get so excited about it because we're just all waiting, waiting, waiting for those first words. But then we realize as we listen, maybe that day, maybe later, maybe much later, that, gosh, I don't really think that child 
understands that word he or she is saying. And with lots of children with autism, they have what professionals refer to as echolalia, meaning they say words without really knowing what those words mean. And let me just say, a lot of typically developing children initially will kind of pop out a little word, and sometimes even children who are more gestalt learners, meaning that they learn words and or learn information in chunks rather than their analytical learners, meaning that they kind of break it down. A lot of children like that will out a word before they really have associated meaning with it. So sometimes we'll hear some first words. Like I have an example right now. A little guy that I'm seeing this week, his mom, when we were talking about him this week, said, oh, last week I heard him say, mom, mom, mom. Let's see the flipping pages. And she, this is such a great on-the-ball mother. She said, I, I just dropped what I was doing and ran over to him. I got right in his face saying, yes, mom, 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 because she knew, gosh, he's saying that, but he doesn't really understand what that means. He's not calling me mama right now. He's not purposefully using that to communicate with me. He's just using that little utterance, which is fantastic, by the way. I'm not discounting that. But she knew, gosh, this isn't a real word yet. And that's what we're talking about in this whole series, the things that kids that toddlers, babies and toddlers and preschoolers if they're nonverbal, the things they have to acquire and master before words, meaningful words emerge. So I wanted to mention that because sometimes we are fooled a little bit. We'll hear a baby, a, new, a toddler say, Dada, and we think, oh, he's calling for Daddy or he's labeling Daddy when later we realize, gosh, that's just kind of a, a little string of sounds that he's used. So be careful of that if you're a parent. Be cognizant of that. If you're a therapist, you're so well aware of that. But sometimes we don't take the time to really talk to moms and dads about what that say that we can't take a, a sound sequence or a syllable string or whatever you want to call it. We can't take what I call an almost word and then make it meaningful because, goodness, I do that all the time, and I'm, I bet you do too. But we just have to talk to parents about sometimes kids say things and they're just experimenting with sound. It's just more like vocal play, and we have to do everything we can to make that sequence of sounds meaningful so that the child will link meaning with it and will use it uh, representatively. Meaning that when he says mom, it's not just something he's babbling as he looks at a little book. It's a way to label and call and ask his mother for things. And so, again, that's how it becomes meaningful. So just a little side note there. All right. Understanding gestures. Why is understanding gestures important? Now, as speech pathologists, we know the importance of gestures. And what are gestures? Gestures are body movements that over time, communicate with people and become meaningful with people, to people. And so we talk about looking at the gestures that a child uses. And last week on the show, we talked a lot about how important in typical development, gestures really mark the precursor to words emerging. So if when we see a child begin to wave bye-bye and begin to point to let his parents know what he wants and begin to use other gestures like shaking his head yes and no, when we see that, we get excited because research tells us in developmental milestones for years and years and years, decades and decades of research confirms that gestures precede or come before words, before a child begins to talk. So it's super, super important. And we have to remember as professionals that if we are not seeing gestures emerge in a child by 12 months, 
it's a red flag. I'm going to pause for a second and let you think about that. When we don't see gestures emerge by 12 months in a baby, we should start to get a little bit concerned. Moving along, just as we would expect, we start to see those behaviors merge. And again, without tons of teaching. Now, they have had to see it some. If they've never seen anybody wave bye-bye, it's totally unrealistic for us to expect them to begin to use that symbol because they've had to learn it from somewhere. There has to be some amount of exposure. And so here's my point here. Until a child sees a lot of gestures, understands what those gestures mean, meaning that he's become symbolic, He's linked meaning. He knows that mom is just not waving her hand to wave her hand. That means that someone is leaving. Something is stopping. <laughs> Somebody is not going to be there anymore. It could be the child. It could be mom. It could be that you're waving to the water in the bathtub. It could be you're waving to the dirty diaper. It could be that you're waving to the helicopter that's flying away, whatever it is. But something about that situation is changing, and something's not going to be there anymore. But that just the first time or two a child sees somebody wave, it's not meaningful. So a child has to see that gesture over and over and over again before he would ever be able to use it. And so sometimes the speech pathologists and other early interventionists, we look for gestures that a child uses. And my whole point here with looking at this milestone is not only does it but does he have to use it before that's a realistic expectation for a child? We have to make sure he knows what it means and that he understands it and that we see evidence of that. Now, you know, we can't just say, well, of course he understands it because he understands everything. Please don't make that assumption. Please, 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 I beg you. And again, I'm not saying that so that we undermine anything that a child does or so that we aren't presuming, you know, competence here, which is kind of a buzzword in a big movement. We want to assume that our children can do things. But guys, that actually hurts some children in early intervention because you give them credit for understanding things and then you don't bother to teach it. You don't bother to work on it. And so a kid misses out on what he conceivably could learn a lot earlier if we just realize, oh my goodness, he doesn't understand that. Let me help him understand. Let me back up and take the time to teach it so that he's got it. And so it gets a little dicey, a little dangerous when we walk into a child's home. And of course, you know, a mom might say he understands everything, and that could be true. But for a child with a real receptive language gap, for children with cognitive issues where they don't understand everything and then mom and dad think that they do understand everything and then nobody is working on cueing that child and helping him link meanings to words and understand what words mean and, again, really, really pay attention to that receptive cognitive piece first. And we think he's so we've moved on to just expecting him to say words and to use words when that foundation is missing do you see how a kid might go weeks and weeks or months and months without making any progress because we're working on the wrong thing? We're focused on talking when really if we had done the whole back up, back up, back up move, like I talk about every time I do a podcast, if we had looked at really what comes before that skill and realized, well, gosh, no wonder he doesn't say milk because he doesn't really understand that milk means that white liquid in his glass. 
you know, no wonder he doesn't call me mama because he doesn't really understand that that, that's my name or my label here. No wonder when I say go get your shoes, he has no earthly idea what shoes are. He doesn't know what that word means. And so, again, you can't expect a kid to use language, use words, when he doesn't have that association there. When he, when he doesn't hear the word and know what you're talking about, really it's so unfair of us to think that he could use that word meaningfully. So we're doing the same thing with gestures here. We look at gestural development and a child's ability to wave, to point, to clap with us, to do cute little tricks like blowing kisses, play little games like give me five, we under, we expect him to do all these things when really the underlying foundations aren't there because they're made in random body movements. There's no meaning assigned with that. There's no, there's nothing that he's done long enough that he has seen you do long enough or often enough for him even to have a chance of linking meaning with that or or making associations or becoming symbolic. And again, by symbolic, I mean he knows when you were shaking your head up and down that that means yes, that means yeah, that's okay, you can do that, you can proceed. He doesn't know. Or that when you look at him with a stern face and you're saying no, 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 he doesn't know that that means stop. He doesn't know that you are expressing disapproval. He doesn't know that you're telling him you cannot do that. He hasn't, he hasn't understood it yet. And so until he understands gestures and other kinds of nonverbal communication, we shouldn't expect him to be able to perform those things communicatively. So that's what we're talking about here today. And this is a big level or a big step, a big skill that I think a lot of us, even therapists, maybe even therapists that have practiced a long time, this is something you know but you don't quite emphasize it to parents like you should. Maybe you've done the whole receptive language thing where you you know, you know, live by the mantra, he has to understand words before he can use words. I mean, that is so firmly entrenched in you, but you really haven't applied it to gestures yet. So let's talk about how we can do that, gestures and other kinds of nonverbal communication, and give us some concrete things we can look at, some specific ways we can teach this to families, how important this is, and eventually so we can move on and teach it to children. Now, we're really not going to talk about or emphasize a lot about using gestures today. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. That's an upcoming skill. Today, it's a prerequisite. You know how I always say back up. This is it. <laughs> this is where we back up to for gestures and that we need to make sure a child understands it. Now, if you've been following this series, you'll also know that the, the milestones we've been talking about, the skills that we've spent weeks on now, these are all pretty sequential, you know, beginning with skill number one. We wanted a child to respond to events in his environment. And then that next little baby step was respond to people in his environment. And now we've walked this all the way up to, we've talked about joint attention, where he's really paying attention to what you're paying attention to. We've talked about early object use, where he begins to do some things purposefully with his body, some early, early play skills that we talked about last time. This is that next little jump up, that next little level of maturation, that next little level of skill development where a kid understands gestures. Now, remember, again, in, typically develop, in typical development, all these things kind of emerge at the same time. You really can't separate these as clearly or as um, 
you know, really compartmentalize the skills like I've pulled them out in this series. Delays and disorders, you can, and here's why, because they will often get stuck at a certain level or stay working on a skill, you know, acquiring a skill, whatever little verb you want to use there, they, they kind of have to stay in one place for longer. That's the nature of the delay. That's the nature of the disorder, meaning it just takes them longer to learn something. Or they have to, before they make a, a, they kind of plateau at a particular level before they make that next little step, before they go on to the next thing. So that's why here at Understanding Gestures, we do need to spend some time with children and some time with families so that they get it, particularly if you've had a child on your caseload or if you're parenting a child like this that you have been working on sign language forever, you know, for weeks and weeks or even months, and he's not making any progress. A lot of times, you know, we're backing up to look at, okay, he's not using any signs. Let's make it a little bit easier. Let's see if he can use some body language. Let's see if he can imitate some body movements here. Okay, even if you've been there and you're, you've backed up to this point, but he's still not really doing it, try to introduce signs like more and please and all done or even specific signs like ball or milk or go or whatever you've done and you think, okay, this is still too hard. I've got to back him up. I'm going to back up to him imitating body movements. I want him to jump when I jump. I want him to wave his hands when I wave my hands. In a game, I want him to clap when I clap. Even if you've backed up there and it's still not working, this may be the next little part you've got to look at where he has to really, really see gestures a lot before he understands them, where we need to spend a lot of time with parents, educating parents and saying, look, these are the things that I want you to work on. These are the things that I want you to do. We've got to give him some more exposure here and some more practice so that we can help him understand what these mean so that eventually he can start to do them himself. And listen, let's talk about something else. A child who understands these gestures, and again, let's just talk about Gestures are a part of what we call nonverbal communication, meaning it's not really the words you say, but we use a lot, as, even as adults, of other kinds of movement, body language, where if you are mad at someone, you're probably turning away from them. You probably won't look at them. When you're mad at your husband and you have to sit by him on the couch, you probably kind of give him a cold shoulder, literally, meaning you sort of turn your body away and he knows, uh-oh, She's not happy with me. What is wrong? What have I done? Or we hope our husbands know that, right? Or if you're a guy, same thing. You, you, you're just kind of ticked off at what your wife has said. So looking at your body, you're not going to have a big smile on your face. You're probably not standing there with open arms saying, you know, fall into my arms here. And you're not doing that. Your body conveys what you feel. It conveys your emotions. So nonverbal communication is a part of what we use forever. And so a child who doesn't understand nonverbal communication really is missing out on important cues as he's interacting with people. And difficulty with understanding nonverbal communication and not reading nonverbal communication or not understanding it when another person uses it, that's a big red flag for autism. It's a whole um, criteria in and of itself when we are diagnosing children with autism. So it is a big red flag when we have a child that we are knowing, that we are noticing and observing him not able to read 
other people's emotions or their cues. Like when he's in trouble and his mom is saying, get off the couch. No, no, sit down. No standing up on the couch. When mom is saying that and she's using a stern tone of voice and she's her face looks very, very determined, like, and she's giving him, she's not smiling, she's giving him, you know, her eyebrows are kind of furrowed, and she's giving that very, very stern, firm look, and she's pointing, and she's very, very deliberate, but the child still is, you know, jumping up on the couch, laughing, you know, he has no idea that not only is mom saying no and telling him to stop and, you know, he doesn't understand something like get off the couch, but he doesn't even get that mom is angry and she's telling him, you can't do this anymore. And so he doesn't get it until she comes over and physically removes him from the couch. So that's a kid that, again, not only has a receptive language issue in that he's not understanding words like stop and no and those words that are meant to uh, meant to cause him at least a pause in his behavior, he doesn't get the nonverbal signals that she's sending him as well. So this is really, really, really important. Now, a kid who does understand gestures like that, even even if he's not getting the words yet, he can look at mom and say, oh, boy, uh, I'm going to be in trouble here. I better stop what I'm doing. I better try to figure out what she doesn't want me to do. That kind of kid, we know some things about their development. We know that they're connected socially, meaning that they recognize that mom is there. They see, even if they're not understanding the words, that something is going wrong. <laughs> He's watching mom. He's trying to listen to her to figure out what it is that he should or shouldn't do. And so there's some there's evidence that developmentally he's moving along he's further along than say a child same age who isn't responding to that kind of direction from his mom so can you see how important it would be and again this starts with uh, children as they interact with their parents with their grandparents with their brothers and sisters I've had lots of older siblings who kind of also participate in that disciplinary role. <laughs> One of my favorite memories of my children, and, and you know that they're all grown now, they're adults, 26, 24, and 20. Our baby girl just turned 20. And one of my favorite memories from their childhood <laughs> And I don't know why this sticks out in my mind, but it is one of the things that I think about from time to time. But we have a lot of videos of our second son saying, on video, like when I'm, you know, shooting the children or whatever's going on, say at Disney World or we're at a park or a birthday party, whatever I'm videoing and filming, our second son is going, I can hear him in the background telling our youngest, you know, something like, sit down, sit down, or no, stop. And then it's followed by, Mom, Macy's standing up in the stroller. Or, Mom, Macy's pulling things off the grocery store shelf. She's about to get hurt. And so older children can <laughs> perform this role, too. And so our, our babies, our toddlers, our preschoolers need to be able to understand language and directions and their nonverbal communication just as well as they do our own. So it's not just important for us here at home, but that's where it begins. It begins with parents, with understanding what parents have said. All right, so let's talk about tips for understanding
understanding, helping our little friends begin to know what gestures mean. The very best way that we can help a child understand gestures is for adults to use gestures a lot. And by a lot, I mean all the time. So we need to let them see these kinds of uh, movements that we're doing. So, again, we've assigned meaning to these things, these kinds of body movements or facial expressions, and we want children to be able to know what they are, but they can't do it without practice understanding or without exposure so that they have to see these things happen over and over and over again. And your words have to match your gesture. I'm not sure I said it in quite that way last week, so I'm glad I'm getting to redo this show. <laughs> but your words and your facial expressions and your tone of voice and your body language, everything needs to match so that a child can look at you, tame what the heck it is that you're meaning when you're talking to him. That's how kids learn language. That's how they start to develop these associations and make the make these uh, repeated uh, episodes of linking meaning to what you've done and what they have seen you do over and over and over again. And again, it can't just be once or twice. Children really don't learn how to wave bye-bye the first time or two you teach them. They have seen their moms and dads and brothers and sisters and grandparents and daycare teachers and everybody, the man across the street, they've seen people wave to them for a long time before they start to wave back. So they've recognized that and they've learned it. You'll know a baby who's kind of in this space who's never really gotten upset about you leaving before until you've actually gone out the door. But you'll you'll know it when you start to just wave to him, even before you say bye-bye, and all of a sudden he starts to get upset. He starts to pucker up like he's going to cry. That's a kid who understands your gestures. That's a kid who knows, uh-oh, this is what happens before she goes away from me. This is, oh, no, here it comes. So there's evidence there that he understands that you're leaving and that he's really solidly gets that waving means you or he or something is about to go. So we look for this and we provide that practice of him seeing that to help him understand it over and over and over again. And I did uh, mention, and I want to really clarify it this week because I don't think I did it last week at all, we have to make all of our everything match when we're talking to a child. So if you are upset with a child that he is, you know, pulling leaves off your house plant or he's, you know, swinging on the curtains again, you can't just really say, no, stop. You need to shake your head no. You may need to do another kind of body uh, movement, like pointing your finger at him. A lot of I remember clapping with my children when I really wanted their attention, and not in a happy way. That stern clap, you know, the no, stop, or listen, or whatever it is you're doing. And it, and again, you're going to save that for things that are super, super important. You're not going to do that over every little infraction. But when they're about to run out in the street, or pull off the hot boiling pot off the stove, or um, thing that would endanger them. We have to, especially for those times, make our bodies and our faces match the language that we're using. We have to use that tone of voice, too, so that they get, man, this is important. I better stop dead in my tracks and listen to what my mama's trying to say here. 
So it, that's some, another lesson that we need to really, really teach parents and help them kind of get that. Um, I've already mentioned the point about sign language too, but let me just say it one more time. If you have a child who's not learning how to sign, or even if you haven't gone there yet, you haven't begun to teach him some simple sign language so that he's able to communicate his wants and needs, we have to, uh, we have to be sure that, we make, that he's using these kinds of simple gestures first. And we've talked about waving. We've talked about pointing. We've talked about shaking his head yes and no. We'll talk about some other ones in just a minute that are kind of fun. But those are the big ones that we really focus on when we assess children. Before he's doing those, we have to be sure that he's, or before he's doing sign language, we have to be sure that he's using some of those gestures too because that lets us know he's becoming symbolic, meaning that I can take something that I do with my body and it means something else. But this, me waving is a symbol it's a representation of telling you by. Even before I can say it with my mouth, I can show you that I understand that with my hands. And that's what sign language is, too. You're, you're teaching a child a specific movement to use to represent a specific message. Signing, we back up to him using other kinds of early gestures. And if he's not using these early kinds of gestures, guys, then you back up to teaching these kinds of gestures. And again, this is probably the third time I've said it, but I just want to make sure you get it because it is critical. It is so important that we think about this and that we teach this and that we focus on these kinds of things. Uh, let's talk about specifics now with what are some ways that we can teach a child to understand these uh, particular gestures that we mentioned. And what I'm going to be talking about right now uh, comes from a chart that's in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. If you're new to the podcast or new to following my website, that's a book that I've written. It's primarily written for speech-language pathologists and other therapists who work in early intervention programs or private practices or in school settings, preschools, where they provide therapy for children. And it's a reference or a resource for therapists. Uh, and Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, is just a comprehensive guide to looking at a child's language skills. So not only what he says, the expressive portion, but what he understands, but the receptive language portion. And then there's also some information about treating cognition. And remember, cognition is how a kid thinks, how he learns, how he remembers, how he plans, all of those kinds of learning and thinking skills. That's cognition. And there's also a smaller section on social skills. But this, this chart that I'm using to talk about teaching gestures is actually from that book. So if you're a therapist and you think, man, I kind of liked how that was laid out, that would be a good tool for me. I could get this chart and copy it and give it to parents. Uh, take a look at my uh, book, Teach Me to Talk in the Therapy Manual. And this, that's linked at my website under this post. Every podcast, especially the recent ones, <laughs> in the last couple of years, has an article, has a post at my website so that you can get a little bit uh, of a summary, a written summary there so that you can see what the show is about. And that's also a good way if you're looking for something specific, a specific title or topic that you think, gosh, I wonder what she has to say about this or I, I need some more information about this. There might be a better way to teach it than I'm trying. That's a good way to go back and look at the show summaries at teachmetotalk.com and go to the category that says podcast and then scroll through those. Or just 
do the same thing if you're on iTunes. You can get a little bit of that summary there through uh, Blog Talk Radio. All right, so this chart, what we're going to be talking about, comes from Teach Me to Shop the Therapy Manual. And we kind of, it's directions to tell you what the gesture is and then to tell you how to teach the gesture to the child. Now, remember, we're not quite there yet. We're going to talk about imitating, how important imitation is in a couple of weeks. But today we're just looking at what the gesture is that you're trying to help the child understand. And, hey, if, if by focusing on this gesture and by highlighting the importance and exposing the child and giving him opportunities to practice understanding the gesture and learning the meaning of the gesture when you do it, if he just starts to do it on his own, woohoo! <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've climbed another level on that ladder of development. So that may happen too, and I bet, I bet, I bet it will if you are more intentional about how you teach some of these things and how you are focused on helping him understand it. And that's the beauty of therapy too. Sometimes when we back up and we find out just where a kid is and we meet him at that just right developmental level and we focus on helping him understand it, it's not hard to teach it after that. Sometimes it just happens so quickly that it surprises us. And, again, it reinforces the idea that if we will spend a lot of our time helping a child establish, firmly establish and own that word or sign or direction or whatever it is we're getting him to do from a conceptual level, it's not hard to get it to express it. It's not hard to get him to teach him how to shake his head yes or even say yes once he understands you do it. And it doesn't always happen like that. And remember, our kids with atypical development kind of get stuck and plateau sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, and it takes longer to get them there. But a lot of times it, sort of, it happens when, when we back up far enough and we pay enough attention to it and spend some time here at this receptive level or at the understanding level first before we expect a kid to be able to use it, it does go surprisingly fast. So let's talk about some common everyday gestures and how we would model that, how we would help a child learn to understand it first so that eventually he can go on and use it. All right, so let's talk about reaching. Reaching is one of the very first gestures that a child will do, and again, it occurs early in infancy say four months or so, four to six months, when a child is supposed to reach for something that he wants. And this will happen uh, pretty easily in typical development. And actually, most children that we evaluate that are like talkers have mastered this gesture too. They understand that when there's a choice, if I'm holding up two things that he or she wants, that they should reach for it. They should hold their little hands out to try to get it. And so... You may not see this, though, in a child who has motor limitations. So a child with, you know, maybe diagnosed with hypotonia or low muscle tone, have a diagnosis like Down syndrome or cerebral palsy or any other condition where his muscle tone is affected. He may not be able to reach because his little body isn't working like it should. And so for those kids, you may have to do some physical cues with that, talk to the OT or PT, seeing the child, talk about what you can do to facilitate reaching. A lot of times uh, we have to get some specific Mm, strategy or specific way that we would help cue that movement in a child. So, again, that sometimes as speech-language pathologists, we try to make some suggestions and stuff. But if a child is 
not reaching and using his or her little arms and hands, consult the PT or OT to see if there's some cueing strategies that you can do first. From a cognitive or a motivational perspective, the best way to get a child to learn to reach is to show him something he really, really wants. So if he likes something, hold it up and see if he'll reach for it. If he has a pacifier, use it. <laughs> hold it within, you know, just outside of his reach and see if he wants to grab it, if he likes the sippy cup. Hold it just outside his reach, any kind of food. And, again, I use food and drinks for this, teaching the skill more than anything because that's a basic human need, <laughs> hydration and nutrition. So think about that. That could be a way you could do it. You could also do it with one of a kid's favorite things. If he's a, if he's a movie kid, he loves DVDs, take that DVD case the one that he wants to hold anyway or the one that he has seen you use a lot, just hold it outside his reach. See if he'll reach for that. Lots of times children are reaching for adults to be picked up. So especially if you're a mom, don't just automatically reach down and grab him and, you know, pick him up. Stand there with your arms out and say, you want to want me to pick you up? You want me to hold you? You know, that's something that's kind of a universal expression. And then you wait him out a little bit. You see, hey, is she going to pop her little arms up on her own for me to pick her up? And this, for some children, again, has already occurred. that You didn't need to teach it. It just happened. And for those kids, you know, you say hallelujah. Gestural, <laughs> gestures are emerging. Gestural communication is coming along. They've got the foundations. They understand it. I can explain express what I want with my body. And so that's an early one, though. If you have a kid that you think he's not using any gestures at all, go back and think, will he hold his arms up? My mom says, do you want up? Now, at the beginning, mom should be holding her arms out to say, do you want up? But if a kid can already do that, say to mom, hey, stop holding your arms out. Let's see if he'll understand it from your words alone. And we're talking about understanding gestures today, but this would be your next little step does he, when you say, do you want me to pick you up? you want me to hold you? Will he then, does he understand that message? And you'll know if you don't put your arms out to pick him up, if you don't have your hands out, if he hears you say that and then reaches for you, you know, oh, my goodness, he understood me. He knew what that meant. So, again, this is all a progression. It's all sequential. You'll be able to ascertain what the child understands by doing something, uh, by, by using that kind of cue and that kind of question without you using the gesture. Let's talk about what if she doesn't reach up. Help her. Reach down and kind of, you know, again, reach just beyond where her hands are so that you've leaned in closer to her without actually picking her up yet. That might be a, enough of a little hint or a cue for her, for your little girl to know, oh, that's what she means, and start to lift her arms up too. Even without fully picking her up yet, you could you could reach down and help her hold her arms up, or put your arms, your hands under her little elbows and under the top of her arms to kind of push them up without picking her up as a way to teach her. I want you to lift your hands up when I say that. When I say, you know, um, you want up or want me to hold you, you are. Um, helping them learn how to do that. You're, that's, that's a cue. That's called a physical cue. And if you're a therapist, this is exactly what you should be talking to moms about. This is how you should word it when you're trying to teach a mom to teach gestures. <laughs> and to help a child learn to understand gestures, this is how you would walk mom through that. You know, And, and I've had kids that we've 
developed a request. We'll say something like, you know, you're blind up, and then maybe we'll say to them, you know, arms up or hands up, uh, you know, some little phrase that lets them know, hey, you've got to do your part in this. I want to see those little arms go up of yours. And remember, we're not quite there yet. We're not really talking about how the child should be using a gesture, but that's your next step. Today we're really focused on helping them understand, but for a lot of children, we don't really know that they understand reaching and wanting to be picked up until we see them use the gesture too. All right, let's talk about the next little gesture that I think kind of is easy to teach. It would be when a child claps when he's excited or happy. And I know I gave this example in last week's show where I said we'll have kids in therapy that get so accustomed to us clapping and cheering for them that they will get a little bit perturbed when we aren't clapping. So they'll do something great, and then you've checked out for a minute and you're not clapping for them or you're trying to fade your clapping so that they're not so dependent on you cheering over every little thing, which is a good idea, by the way, as you progress, but not at the beginning. But they'll look at you like, hey, why aren't you clapping for me? Where's your clap? Or they'll start to clap and then look at you like, okay, it's your turn. You should be clapping here. So clapping is kind of a universal sign or a universal uh, body language for I'm happy, this is this is fun, this is exciting. We'll, we'll see this, and I think I gave this example on last week's show, when we're watching, say, a soccer match. Uh, there's an international soccer match, and we don't speak the language of either of the teams playing, and they're in a different country than we've ever been in, and we don't understand at all other than the basic rules of soccer but we know when something has happened, great, because we'll hear the cheers erupt from the crowd and we'll hear the clapping, so it's universal. So how do you get a kid to understand that? You're going to model it. So when he's done something that you like, clap for him when you're excited and when you're happy and you're expressing approval there. And, again, this is an easy thing for a child to move from understanding this gesture to using it himself. So lean down and grab his little hands and after you've modeled clapping, if he's still not seeming to want to imitate that, help him clap. Get his, grab his little hands and put them together over and over and over and, and help him form that that motion. But this is something that kid, a lot of kids, that's kind of where I start with gestures with kids, not necessarily with pointing or waving because those are harder, but clapping is one of the very first things that I try to introduce uh, and certainly is that natural extension when we're helping a kid um, when we're backing up, when we're saying, okay, he doesn't use gestures, let's help him understand gestures, this is an easy, easy one to help him understand and then eventually uh, and hopefully pretty quickly move forward to using himself. All right, let's talk about shaking, uh, shaking your head for yes, nodding your head for yes, shaking your head for no. Always, always, always use those movements when you're telling a child yes and no. And use the words a lot, too. Sometimes we're saying, you know, oh, you can have a cookie. You can have a cookie. Yes. And but we forget to say the word yes. And I've just overtrained myself so that I can't even really say uh, a phrase like that where I'm giving a child permission to do something without saying yes over and over and over. But sometimes the parent will forget to do that or a therapist will too. So when a child is asking you a question or making a request, even again without the words there, they're looking at you like, can I have this or give me this? Use your head motions to indicate yes and no. And I almost always teach no first. One, because it's a safety thing, and we all tell our babies what they 
can't do at home because a lot of times it is out of protection for them. We don't want them over trying to pull the covers off the electrical outlets. We don't want them pulling on a tablecloth so that the whole um, place setting for dinner falls on them if you're that formal and use the tablecloth at home or curtains or you know anything that they could pull down and hurt themselves. We don't want them hurting our pets you know, not pulling or grabbing the dog or cat in an aggressive way. We don't want them to hurt other children. So we often start with no. So be sure that you are shaking your head no when you are teaching that. And, again, make your face match. You've got to have your facial expressions uh, match too. So be sure that you are modeling those exaggerated, you know, head shaking or head nodding for yes and no so that they can begin to link meaning with your words and with your gesture that you're using there. Let's talk about give me commands. We talked about this last week, and it's so important to be sure that I'm repeating the same information so that you're understanding that really, really, really work on give me commands with children and teaching that so that they understand that when, and you'll just start with anything that they're holding, with just putting your hand out there and saying, you know, give me your ball or give me your block. If they, if they don't do it, what should you do? You leave your one hand out there and open that you're going to receive that, whatever it is that you've asked them for, whatever you've requested. But you take your other hand and you place it on their hand that's holding the object and you Help the child put it in your open hand. So you're essentially giving him assistance to give you whatever it is that you've asked for. And that hand-over-hand assistance is required for so many children to learn to link meaning with your words. So don't be afraid of that. So that's a great, great way to practice the give me command. Now, after a while, you don't want him to become overly dependent on you helping him with that physical cueing. So after a while... You need to stop that part and kind of wait him out and see if he's going to put the object in your hand that you've requested. So you're going to want to fade that. Over time, you'll even fade your outstretched hand when you say, give me. After a while, you shouldn't even put your hand out there. You're just going to see if he'll understand that those words, give me the book, so that he understands that give me part. I remember on last week's show, laughing about to the little give me five and what a fun little gesture that is for children to learn to understand that little game where they're doing their part where you hold your hand up and you say give me five and they slap your hand back that's a fun little social game and it's a gesture too because it's body language it's a body movement you're using to you know hear what we're meaning is you know, this is fun, I like you, we're communicating here, we're interacting. So great, great little gesture that you know he understands it because he'll actually do it. And, again, that, that leads the way for him to not only understand gestures but begin to use those gestures too. Let's talk about waving bye-bye. Practice waving all day long. The child has to see it and see it and see it and see it and see it before we would want him to begin to imitate or copy that motion. So wave to him as you're leaving the room. Wave as you're leaving your home. Have everyone wave to him. You know, really cue dad, cue your older children, grandparents, your neighbors who were over. Practice waving a lot because they have to see it. 
give him that hand over hand assistance to help him get that way going. But it's it's a super important one to think about and talk about. And so many times physicians and pediatricians will, when they're asking you about your late-talking child, that's one of the things they'll ask, you know, is he waving bye-bye? So it's a really important milestone, certainly in our culture um, as Americans and as other countries around the world who probably use that gesture to indicate that someone is leaving. But you can even wave bye-bye to, to things, not only people. So as you're throwing trash away, as you're watching the water go down the toilet or down the bathtub drain or the sink when you are brushing teeth, you know, practice waving, waving, waving to anything that would leave. Now, be careful with waving. A lot of times a child will begin to use that in a self-stimulatory way, and you can't really stop that. But my point here is that you want to redirect it and you want to recognize it if you're a parent. A lot of times the parent will say to me, oh, yeah, he's waving bye-bye, and then I'll see that version of it. And really what the child is doing is holding his hand in front of his eyes and watching his fingers move. And he's not directing that way to anybody but himself. <laughs> so we have to make sure that that becomes uh, – communicative eventually and he's he's redirecting that and it's becoming symbolic and it means something is leaving rather than I want to see my fingers I'm going to see whatever visual effects I'm creating with my fingers here so be sure that you're making that distinction too showing is a big big gesture it's important that that children will show other people that they are connected enough to other people that they want to show them things and again this is one of the markers for autism when a child isn't trying to get someone else's attention to show him something so that they can share attention, it's a big deal. So a lot of times we have to begin to really show a child something. So one way that I get parents to practice this is saying, hey, when you have a toy that you know he likes, be sure that you're walking over to him and you're saying, hey, look, look at this. Let me show you. And you're holding that little toy up so that he can see it. Now, don't necessarily give it to him yet because, remember, again, we're, we're building that attention piece, and we've talked about that a couple of shows ago for how important it is that we share experiences and attention with children. And so just hold it right there so that you can be sure that both of you are looking at that together. Let's talk about a child being able to understand the gesture look. If you made it through last week's show and you listened through that, that <laughs> hard-to-hear audio, we talked a lot about a child's ability to follow uh, your point. So when you were saying, look, look, you want a child to be able to understand that direction and to redirect his attention to that, to follow your point is what we call that. And again, in typical development, that emerges between that, you know, 9, 10, 11 month age range. And it's super, super important. Now, sometimes parents will do it with objects that are too far away. You'll say, look at something like the dog that's across the street or a balloon floating in the air or something that's just too far out of the child's visual field. Don't do that. Try to bring it in a little closer so that if you, you're pointing to something that's, that's pretty close for him to see. And then over time, get that. You'll, you'll teach a child to direct his attention to items that are further away, but start with something closer. When I'm working on this, a lot of times with a child, I'll take a toy or an object that moves or rolls so that I'm saying, look, as the truck kind of goes away from us. And 
pointing so that again he that that tracking piece he's learning oh yeah i'm going to look at things that are even a little further away so that's certainly something that you can do um those are really fun ones we also talked about little gestures and i want to like blowing kisses any little fun trick like that where he is copying your movement, he has to see you do that first before that becomes something that he's going to want to do. And remember, we're teaching him to understand it. So your purpose here, your homework, is to help him and provide those examples over and over. Let me give you one more that's kind of fun. It's the shh sound where you're putting your finger to your lips to tell him to be quiet. And for parents of late talkers, a lot of times they'll say to me, oh, Laura, I'm never going to tell him to be quiet. I can't wait for him to make noise. Eventually, you're going to want him to learn (laughs) when to use his loud voice and when not to use his voice at all. And so that little universal signal for that is putting your finger to your lips. And, you know, we say shh, 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 shh for that. So that's another little fun gesture that you want to teach him so that he understands it first, and eventually he's going to be able to use that himself. All right, let's call it a day on this. Remember that gestures are important. Understanding nonverbal communication is important. Your overriding takeaway message this week is a child has to learn to understand gestures before he can use gestures. I hope I've given you some specifics today to teach a child some specific things that you can work on. If you're a therapist, talk to parents about purposefully and intentionally using gestures and therapists. Parents need to see you purposefully modeling and using gestures as you talk. And I bet you're like me. You can't talk without moving your hands. (laughs) We're all very, very communicative usually. So be sure that you're doing that and and make that important for parents and make it important for children on your caseloads too. All right, that was all for this week. Next week's show is about receptive language, which is just one of my most fun things to talk about ever. I love it, I love it, I love it. So tune in for that show, and I hope you'll join me then. Have a fantastic week. Bye-bye.